Hello and welcome back to the Press Room Podcast, supported by Ride WA. It's so good to have you guys back for another rep of the pod. Okay, now this one is sponsored by West Cycle. Okay, West Cycle are the peak body for bike riding in WA, and they're our representative voice out on the roads for cyclists in our state. So a big thanks to them for getting behind this pod. Now, episode seven. Oh my god, I've got the pros pro of women's cycling. Okay, we're talking today with Jess Allen from Team Bike Exchange, and she's just signed a contract to put her past uh, her seventh year with the team. That is absolutely massive. And we have a really good chat. Jess is an absolute legend, and you know her perspective on how the sport has grown from when she signed her first contract at the top end of women's cycling in 2016 to now is just so interesting. You know the sport has grown so much from a physical level, uh, from a team's perspective, uh, coverage perspective, from a salary perspective. Um, we really get all that insight from Jess. And, um, you know, we go into the women's Giro, winning the Giro with uh, Annemiek van Vluten uh, back in that year when they won four stages and just dominated that race. Uh, we talk about women's Roubaix, that's pretty hectic. Um, Jess's national criterion win, um, you know, the challenges of being a domestique uh, in a top, top team. And, um, you know, we even dabble in talking about building a super team to go and race the US crits. So, um, yeah, that's an absolute ripper amp. And um, I hope you guys enjoy it. And so a big thank you again to West Cycle for getting behind this pod. Um, every year they put on a, um, a big fondo, okay? It's this huge event. It's called the Dams Challenge. Now, in WA, we don't really have massive alpine climbs. Our biggest hills are kind of 10, 15 minutes long. But most of them go up towards a dam. And, you know, you climb up and then you sort of go across the dam and then you descend back down and then you go back for more. And so the Dams Challenge goes over the five hardest dams in Western Australia. It's about 220k, 3,000 metres, and it's an absolute festival of cycling. So for any recreational or competitive cyclist out there in WA and you want to go and ride an epic event with your mates or on your own trying to get your fastest time, go to the West Cycle website, hit the dams link or the page, the dedicated page, check out the info and enter. I did it for the first time this year um, and I did it with my partner and one of our best friends and we had one of the best days out on the bike ever. And um, you know, yeah, okay, you can go and ride the route for free anytime you like, but what you can't get is the atmosphere that that whole event gives you, you know, you've got the people on the side of the road screaming your name, ringing the cowbells, they're writing, you know, your name on the road, there's food stops everywhere, you know, there's more snakes and gels and all that sorts of stuff you can poke a stick at, and, um, you know, food at the end, music, food trucks, all that stuff, it's got it all, and it's a, it's just a sick event, so um, check it out, and thanks to West Cycle again for sponsoring this episode. So, that's it, that's all I've got. It's time for the app. We've got Jess Allen, Team Bike Exchange. Let's do it. Hello and welcome back to the Press Room Podcast. Today or tonight or this morning, uh, I'm sitting here with Jess Allen from Team Bike Exchange. Jess, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. You are most definitely welcome. Uh, 
to start, um, why don't you tell our listeners that they don't already know uh, about yourself, um, just give a little brief um, about Jess, where you're living, um, which t- which team you're riding for at the moment, and um, maybe throw in what's your favourite race on calendar. Sure. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Jess. I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm from Perth, Western Australia, but um, I now live and spend most of the year in Girona in Spain. Um, I ride for Team Bike Exchange and next year will be my seventh season with the team. Um, and yeah, my favourite race, there's a lot of favourite races. Um, the classic's always awesome. Um, I do really enjoy like Flanders and and get Wevelgum and, and those type of races, but I also really enjoyed the tours. Um, like Tour of Norway this year was mm. one of my favourites. Um, and next year we have some really exciting races like the Women's Tour de France. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of races I do enjoy. Sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, congrats on uh, signing another extension with Team Bike Exchange. That's um, seven years. That's, as far as cycling terms go, that's pretty cool, isn't it, to be with one team for that long. Yeah, and it's gone super fast as well. Um, my first team was actually, I rode for a French team, which is now the FDJ team. Um, oh. But back in 2013, I rode for, uh, it was called Vienne Futuroscope. So that was my first pro team. Um, yeah. And then I signed with Bike Exchange in, in 2016. So, um, yeah, it's good to be with one team for so long. Yeah, and super rare, right? Um, you know, I yeah. guess- you hear a little bit now as the, as the women's um, uh, cycling scene, professional cycling is seems to be on the up in terms of contracts and teams and money and that sort of stuff. So you're starting to see um, girls out there getting longer contracts. But to be with one team for so long, is um, it's obviously a credit to you as like a person. You must be pretty well liked on the team um, and, and do a good job. And so do you feel like a senior member of the team? Like, is that a kind of feeling you have? Yeah, I guess Spratty and myself are now the longest running riders in the team um, from next year. Spratty's been with the team from uh, from the start. Um, and so, yeah, like I think particularly next year, we're going to have a few younger riders and, and new riders to Europe. So um, I think I'm going to take on more of like a mentor kind of development role for them and help them settle in well to Europe and, and into the European racing um, and use what experience I have to help them grow as riders themselves. Um and also just keep trying to get stronger myself. Um, yeah, so I, I do feel, it's weird. Like I feel experienced in the team, but I still feel like I'm 21. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's strange. <laughs> yeah, wow. And do you, are you getting stronger every year? Oh, the last few years, not so much. Um, they do say like, like. Is it more resistant? Sorry, go on. Like, do you get, do you feel not maybe not necessarily stronger, like power wise, but are you, are you finding that um, maybe like your endurance, your repeatability is better as you get older? Like, how does that sort of work? Yeah, I think definitely for females, your endurance that does get better as you get older. Um, and it's funny because it's not really a peak age, particularly in women's cycling. You have girls who are 20 years old winning races, and then you've got girls who are 38 years old winning race, races. So um, it really depends. But I think like, as I get older, you just you just get a bit more wiser, I guess. Um, you know what your body can handle, what it can't, what races you like, what you don't. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it's just mental as well. Like you need to be physically fit, but I think more so you need to be in the right headspace uh, to do well in these races. Yeah. 
Mm. And also the field is just getting stronger every year. Yeah. It's just harder and harder. Uh, and there's more women at the top level instead of just a few, like five to 10 riders. There's now, you know, 30 riders that are making the race really hard at the end. So um, overall, it's just harder racing. Mm. And uh, would you say that's a, a product of um, the, the pathways for women to get to uh, the top tier of cycling becoming more uh, diverse? There's more pathways. Is that why you'd say the, the fields are stronger deeper yeah maybe more racing there's more teams uh teams have more money now like it is interesting seeing um the progression of women's cycling since i first started um like when i first started i'd have to go back to australia for four months and and work more or less part-time full-time so i could find myself to be in europe um but now like there's, there's teams with more money that you can actually you know have this as your job uh which is really cool and yeah. um and to see that progress it's it's really what women deserve we train just as hard and and race just as hard as the men and now there's more coverage for the racing and everything which is really good um and i think the spectators really enjoy watching it too like our racing is it is so intense and it's a bit shorter than the men but it's really exciting um and i think again there's a huge market for it and to definitely get more of the racing on tv that's going to help women cycling Mm. A lot of those, um, I remember seeing some statistics on Twitter about some of the women's racing, uh, particularly I think in the Flanders region, and they were getting a, a larger viewership from the from women on the in the women's racing, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. The, particularly uh, in Belgium, like the support around the races is insane as well. Um, all the crowd, and it was a bit hard last year with COVID restrictions, but this year it's uh, particularly the second half of the season there weren't so many restrictions and it, it felt really cool to actually have a crowd and, and everything at races again. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And um, in your, your seven years so far at, at, with Bike Exchange, um, Green Edge, all the different entities it's been known as, um, is there anything that you, that you wish, well, is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew when you first signed as a professional in, in Europe? I wish I studied a language more in school. My dad was always like, you should study French all the way to year 12. And I got to year 10 and I'm like, oh, like, when am I ever going to need French? And then it's just like ironic that my first professional team was a French team. And I'm like, bloody hell, it would have been good to be fluent. Um, and it is easier to learn a language when you're younger as well. Like, I've lived in Italy for a few years, lived in France, now Spain. So I have picked up a bit of the languages, but I'm definitely not fluent in any of them. I can get by, but um, yeah, I think learning a language, one of those languages is is a huge help. That's for sure. Mm, that's, a, that's a good tip. Is I mean, I'm not very well versed in uh, European languages at all, but uh, is there one language of the sort of major countries that is the most um, useful across all of them? The thing is, once you know, like, French, Italian or Spanish, because they're all Latin-based languages, they, they're kind of all a bit similar. So mm -hmm. once you learn one, it's easier to pick up others. Um, I think pr French is probably the most used. Um, but in saying that, if you know Spanish, you can normally speak broken Spanish to French people and, and you'll get by. Mm -hmm. um, but I just get mixed up between the three languages now. Like if I'm not concentrating, I'll speak a sentence with like Italian, Spanish and French all in one. And you're just like, oh, 
And here where I live in Girona, they actually speak a dialect Catalan. Oh, yeah. Um, so I thought about learning that, but it's, it's a bit tricky. Like, yeah, Catalonia, they speak Catalan, but nowhere else in Spain speak Catalan. So mm. um, I've decided to learn Spanish just because it's a more universal language and, um, and it's a bit more useful out of Catalonia as well. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, if you like at a uh, training with some other people, you know, out in say Girona or anywhere in Europe, and say there's other people who are not, you know, Australians, I know Kiwis, um, whoever, who are not from Europe, and they start speaking really good French, Spanish, um, Italian, do you get like jealous? Like, oh, geez, I do kind of work harder at mine. Is there any of that? Because I would feel like that, I reckon. Yeah, some people can just pick them up so well. Um... I remember when we lived in Italy, um, Rob Stannard was our next door neighbour and he could just pick up languages so well and same with Michael Stora. And, like, I think Michael learnt by just, like, reading an Italian dictionary. What? And, like, for me, like, I guess everyone's brains work differently, but for me, like, I need lessons. I need, I need it written down. I need to see it. I need to hear it. And I need repetition. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just something, like, your brain's either good at or not, but... I get more more jealous, really, or just, like, envious of uh, Europeans. They know, like, three or four different languages, yeah. and they're just growing up with it. It's just part of school, whereas it's it's optional in Australia, but it's not pushed. And as Australians, I feel like Europeans and, and non-Australians come into the country and we just expect everyone to speak English. Mm. And then we go to Europe and we expect everyone to speak English. Yeah. And, yeah, but the thing is, most people do speak English. Huh. And even here, most people speak English, so you can get away with not knowing a language. Um, and, like, I live with Australians and, and my friends are English-speaking people. So yeah. unless you're put in a team, like, when I was in a French team, that was a shock to the system because no one really spoke English. Um, so you had to force yourself to learn it, more or less, which is, is good in a way. Yeah. And is it, like, I've read and heard some other things on different podcasts and articles and things like that of it being like a like almost a is it like a sign of respect to sort of know the language of the area you're in yeah for sure like every country I go to I try and say the basics in the language whether it's just thank you and hello and all that kind of thing yeah um yeah I also find in France telling people that you're Australian and not British goes a long way because <laughs> they actually <laughs> like Australians <laughs> oh wow that's interesting yeah um, but no, nah, in most countries, if you do try, um, they respect that and, uh, and then they'll normally help you out a bit and speak a bit slower. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, and yeah. so, um, in the time you've been with Bike Exchange so far, do you have uh, a standout moment or one that you just sort of comes to light straight away for you personally? Yeah, um, there's a few, um, Probably, uh, I can't remember what year it was, 2017, I think, um, when Annemiek van Vluten won the Giro d'Italia for the first time. Um, I was part of that team, and that was really cool. Um, we had a really awesome team and a great tour. I think we won five five out of the ten stages, won the GC, uh, Spratty won the KOM jersey, and she was also on the podium. So that was definitely the biggest highlight. Um and it was, it was such a hard tour. We raced up the Zonkaman. 
oh. uh, in Italy and it was horrendous climb but it was unbelievable um that was really special yeah that stands uh, out by far yeah that's awesome what's it like being in the the team with the strongest rider or the winning like when you're in, you're in the lead say after the third or fourth stage and and animates on top Sprady's up there and you as a team are riding so well do you feel like do you get like a bit of like um I don't know, just an extra sort of spring in your step when you're walking around before the stage? <laughs> Definitely really nervous, but I think it also lifts you as a rider as well. Um, yeah. Like I could definitely push myself more and I feel like in these races where you have such strong leaders, um, I do find I'm able to get more out of myself to help others um, and knowing they're going to finish off the job and do the best they can really helps as well. Mm. Um, and particularly like... Sprat is an unreal leader and um and so was Anamik and to have their praise and everything after the stages was was really really good um and they're also good to give you feedback and yeah I really uh really enjoy just working for them for sure but I think it does lift you up as a rider having these type of leaders in the team yeah for sure so having like someone in your team who you know has more well, than you believe that they can finish it off you can go deeper yeah yeah exactly and they trust you you trust them so it's um it's a pretty special feeling yeah wow that's it and um the zonkalong um trying to remember off the top of my head what is it like it's like 10 kilometers at 10 like 10k at like 10 percent average (laughs) like outrageous so like the cars can't actually um they can't actually pass the riders so then at the bottom of the climb you have one of your DSs on the back of a motorbike oh. holding a spare bike and a spare set of wheels for your leader. Um, and if anything else happens to anyone else, you're just waiting on the side of the road for the, the convoy to come like 20 minutes behind. So I, I remember our DS like finished the stage and his back was just so cooked from like holding a bike and holding a motorbike rider in front. Um, and I just remember being so steep, like actually just doing zigzags and, my teammate Yolene Dior and I, like, we let out into the climb. So we're going full gas before you oh. even hit it. Then you hit this thing and you got to make it up in, in time cut. Yeah. And I think in a 10K climb, we lost, like, 20, 25 minutes, maybe even more. Um, and, like, I couldn't have gone any harder. So, like, I don't know how these girls race up it for the win. I'm just, like, far out. It's insane. Yeah. But still, though, you're doing your, like, maximal effort before you've even got to the climb. So, like, yeah. you know, yeah. there's thinking, you know, the climb's bloody hard. We'll try doing your maximum effort before then, and then you hit the climb, and then, yeah, good Lord. Did and you- it's not a climb. You can you can go up easy, like. Yeah. Yeah. You're just grinding away at, like, 40 RPM, trying to stay upright. <laughs> Do you, um, when you went up there, um, I'm sure there would have been lots of people along the side of the road. Do people like try and push up? They know you're sort of having a, a battle. Yeah. Yeah. They like yell out. I don't know what push is in Italian, but I figured it out when I was up there. I'm like, yeah, give me a push. Uh, you got to be careful with it, but you do have people just giving you a push and just like yeah. squirting water at you. And yeah. Um, now, because of COVID, you know, they're not really allowed to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's a pretty cool atmosphere, that for sure. Hmm. I, um, I remember seeing videos of, like, riders taking um, drinks from people on the side of the road, you know, like water and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it wasn't yeah. that long ago, but, like, you, you imagine that now and you're like, that's crazy. <laughs> mm. Like, I would never drink something someone's handed out unless it's from my team. 
but for sure like in the middle of summer if people have like a water bottle on the side right. I'd grab it just put it down the back kind of thing mm. um but yeah I'm always a bit wary of uh taking bids <laughs> even from other teams that don't really yeah take biddens from unless it's my own yeah okay, okay. oh that's pretty cool um oh yeah well I just thought it was one in my head uh like what's what's one of the, what's like a something what's something weird that you've seen on the side of the road when you've been racing if you've had time to notice you see anything weird someone dressed up strange or oh there's always people dressed up strange that's for sure the thing is like where most of the crowd is um is in the belgian classics and you just don't have time to to look around because it's just so hectic and you're going into these cobble sections and all you're looking at is just the front and trying to keep up right um but what surprised me most is just um how early the fans are out just drinking beer like <laughs> when we start flanders at like 9 30 or 10 in the morning and all these belgy fans are just on the piss from that early and you're just like <laughs> it's insane but um it's really cool i love it um yeah. And just the smell of like barbecues and everything as you go past, like it actually makes me feel a bit sick sometimes. Um, <laughs> but they're just, yeah, there with their sausages and beer, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> that that whole region shuts down for cycling, hey? Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, what would you say? So, I guess in in your role in bike exchange, Sarah, as you, uh, Jess, as you said. Um, you know, you play sort of more of a mentor, domestic role, um, helping out um, your teammates when you've got those sort of strong, strong ladies in your team. Uh, what's, like people know domestic, okay, helping out um, the leaders of the team. But what's the most challenging part of um, working for your team leaders, you know, like in terms of like, you know, like going back for bottles or sort of, um working on particular sections of the race what's the sort of hardest part i think probably in tours um i enjoy tours more than one day races um as a domestic um but when you've got a really hard day in a tour like for instance this year we raced tour of ardesh which is a tour in like the um pyrenees region of uh france Mm. and uh one of my weaknesses would be like climbing and so you've got like our teammate Amanda Spratt and um we had the team meeting the day before and it's like all right it's a 120k stage there's a 20k climb that starts after 10k into the race and you guys are going to go full gas up it and I'm like oh man (laughs) (laughs) so like trying actually like days like that although you're not doing anything really other than maybe helping the leader out to the base of the climb it just it's just survival mode and you're working out okay how far do I have to finish down to make time cut um and even at the Juro the year Anamique won there was a 15k uphill time trial and so before the time trial you know basically what time she's going to do and what power you need to sit on to make time cut and I basically still had to ride threshold and finish like 10 minutes down like it's they're, they're the hardest days because if you don't finish in time cut, you're not starting the next day and and that really hurts. Um, yeah. And the team needs you for the other stages. So um, that's definitely the hardest part. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. I guess you'd be thinking about that if you have one of those really hard stages. And, like, for maybe uh, for, for the listeners out there that um, they might not understand that 
for um, maybe for the domestics for the team and for um, like say uh, sprinters of the race and that sort of thing. A climb at the beginning of a stage, mm. a really hard climb, plus 10, 15 kilometres, that's um, it's a very difficult stage, isn't it? Yeah, and if you're on a bad day, it's it's a long day. Like I've had races where I'm just at the back by myself, just just trying to get to the finish in time cut. Um, okay. They're the hardest for sure. Mm, okay, and just going back to the uh, the Giro, you said that was one of your most um, you know real highlight for you so far in Team Bike Exchange. Um, is there like a moment that you think about when you were like, well, I'm, I did really well physically there, like in terms of um, you felt really strong. When is a when is a race that you just felt, you know, I'm going on here? Yeah, there was one stage in the Giro towards the end, um, and it's ten days long. I'd never raced anything that long before, and I actually came out quite well towards the end and was able to ride the front for a long time. Um, but one race that stands out was probably Strada Bianchi a few years ago. Um, Anamik won and, and I'd never raced before. Um, and I just did a really good job, like, leading into the, the gravel sectors for the first half of the race mm. and just rode a lot better than what I thought for a race like that. Um, so that was, that was really good. Um, yeah, that was one that stands out a lot, I think. Yeah, sick. That must have been such a cool race to be a part of. That's my favourite race to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of my favourites as well. Brutal race, but it's it's so beautiful and um, and just a really exciting race. Mm. That was the year that um, Anime caught uh, uh, Mavi Garcia. Is that right? Spanish? She was out front. I think evening. it was before. So I think she's won it twice. Um, mm. So it was the first time she won it, I think back in like 2018, 2017 maybe, or 2018. Yeah. Um, can't quite remember, but... Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Is it um, it's in is it in summer, Italy? No, it's it's the first weekend of March, so it's really hit and miss. Um, one year I've done it and it's been twenty degrees. Other years it's two degrees and raining. Oh. Um, and that's what you find at that time of year. It's really hit and miss. Um. I remember back in 2013, it was a really cold spring and races even got cancelled because of snow. Um, And then sometimes it's 20 degrees and warm. So, yeah, it's a really, uh, really unpredictable time of year, that's for sure. And you have riders that race well in the wet and and riders that don't. Um, And you usually see uh, the strongest physically and uh, technically in those wet races, that's for sure. Mm, okay and do you like riding on uh do you like races when they have like gravel sectors and that sort of stuff yeah i actually really do um i really enjoy strata bianchi and it's on my program for next year so um, i'm excited to race that again and yeah it's scary it's like it's a it's a love-hate relationship with all these classics (laughs) like you love it but you're also just so scared going into the sections as well because it's just carnage um but it's, yeah, good adrenaline and uh, and I enjoy it. Have you have you ever done, have you been here for seven? No, I've always wanted to, but it's, it, I'm just never home for it. Um, that looks brutal, that's for sure, but I would love to do it one day. Yeah, yeah. It's getting uh, it's getting bigger and bigger and seven for um, 
the international listeners, which there are some. I've picked up lots of Slovenians this week, apparently. Uh, but seven is like our mm. own, um, uh, like our own big gravel race, 130k, and I think yeah. like 3,500 meters of of gravel. It's um, yeah, it's something else. But I'm yeah. sure when you're back uh, in Perth around that time, whenever it happens, you'll be there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so where in, when you first came to Europe and you were racing for the French team. Were you, um, did you move to France? Yeah, I lived in a town called Poitiers. It's like two and a half hours southwest of uh, Paris. Um, and that's where the team was, the team kind of headquarters were based. Um, and I just lived in like a little apartment. I was with a French Canadian girl, but she, she had a lot of crashes that season. So I was more or less by myself most of the year. Um, yeah, so I was 19, 19, I think I was. Um, did you yeah. travel by yourself? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Just flew into Paris, jumped on a train, didn't really know the whole European <laughs> travel system, and then I got picked up at the other end um, of the train and managed to make it. And it's funny now, like, the whole year I never even had a SIM card like I just relied on Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi was pretty average back then as well. So like I was out training just without anything. And I'm like, now think back, I'm like, fire out, what if something happened to me? Like what would I have done? It's wow. so, so much different now. Yeah. Mm. And when you went to say, when you caught that flight and you, you, you got to the area and you had to catch the train, like when you got off the plane, did you, do you have like instructions on what to do from your team or? Like where to go? Um, I think it was just, yeah, like get the train to this place. Um, and Charles de Gaulle Airport's pretty complicated. Um, but yeah, I just asked people, and that was about it, really. <laughs> I was lucky I didn't have to travel with a bike because traveling with a bike's a pain in the ass. Um, yeah, yeah. So I just had my suitcase and. I just remember it being so cold. Like I'd never been in been in Europe at I think it was the start of uh, start of February. Um, mm. Just remember it being absolutely freezing, and that year was the coldest spring I've ever experienced. Oh, perfect. Um, just remember being on the ergo so many times, just because it was too cold to train. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And when you said you were in like an apartment, was it um, what was it like? Was it nice inside? Was it like an old style, or what was it like? Oh. It was, pretty rubbish to start with so it was kind of like a sports facility where like kids i think they went to school or something there hey legends just jumping in to say thank you so much for listening um i hope you're enjoying the episode and if you haven't already uh make sure you hit following on spotify uh click the little bell to notify you when an episode drops and if you're listening on Apple, please leave a review. If you like the episode or you like any episode, just drop a review, write a bit of text. I don't know why, but it makes a massive difference to the podcast growth. And this thing is growing. It is growing. And it's so good to hear everyone's feedback and support. So, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Let's get on with the rest of the pod. Um, so, anyway, to start with, I was in more like a dorm. 
It's just literally like a bed and desk in a room with a communal bathroom oh. um, until they were like had our apartment ready. So I think for like a couple of months I was just just in that. Um, and there's like a cafeteria that you'd have like breakfast, lunch and dinner at, at certain times of the day. Um, that was pretty, pretty hard. And then we moved into an apartment in the same kind of facility. Uh, and that was just a, a small three bedroom place um, and no oven. It was just oh, a two burner stove top, a mini fridge and microwave. <laughs> and uh, so it was a real eye opener that year. That's for sure. Like Wi-Fi barely worked and I was by myself a lot. And it was, it was a really hard year. Like I look back now, I'm like far out, like, that was that was a character building year that's for sure but I think raising for teams like that um makes you appreciate like how good it is now um and how professional teams are now and um yeah it's like it was a hard year but I'm I'm happy I did it because I think it's just yeah made me mentally stronger and everything now that's for sure definitely yeah yeah I'm, I'm very interested in the the transition that Australians make to go over to Europe because it's obviously much more it's more difficult for Australians um, in Oceania region than say people who are born mm. in Europe you know that jump is so big culturally uh, culture yeah. um, and, and all those things so um, yeah that is uh, like I'm thinking of like um, Ben O'Connor is another one who I think has gone through that a similar path he started maybe mm. French team or he didn't he didn't start you know in the easiest way in terms of um going through Europe and and now you look at him now, yeah you're established uh, yeah Jai Henley's the same he rode for a, a smaller Italian team um as well and look at him now so there are definitely pathways I think looking back now like it almost broke me that year in uh in France like it took me a few years to actually get signed by um by Green Edge after that and I wasn't actually sure if I wanted to keep riding because it was so brutal um and I just took a step back from European racing after that and actually raced a bit in North America and and that's actually a really good pathway as well um because going straight to Europe it's a huge shot particularly from Australians um you go from racing fields of maybe 60 people at nationals or in your state like I know like our like club crits and stuff you'll be lucky to get 15 women um and you go to europe and you're racing 180 on farm roads in belgium um so that's the biggest shock i think to australians and so racing in america it's a bit different the roads are bigger you still have decent sized fields but the racing's racing a bit different as well and and i think it's a really good pathway um there's a lot of host housing there so you stay with families um the crit scene's really good and as australians we do do a lot of criterion racing Mm. um and there's actually good prize money and you can make a bit of money racing in north america um and there are a lot of teams so there are definitely pathways um belgium is a good one because you can race in the summer like three crits a week just local crits yeah um so just to get that experience before going into big events is is really good Mm. um and you also pick up good skills and you get used to riding in a bigger peloton. Because even in these club crits in in Belgium and Holland, you're still going to get 100 plus people. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really, really good for the yeah. development for sure. It's funny. Uh, we had literally the exact same conversation with um, Sarah Giganti 
like a couple of weeks ago. And she said almost word for yeah. word what you said about the bunch sizes and then you go to Belgium and you're racing these flat, windy, you know, Belgian races and there's 160 girls and um, you go back to your state and, yeah. you know, you got 50 maybe if you're maybe over east, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just huge. And I've noticed, I've watched a little bit of the, the American scene and, um, I didn't know that you raced over there. It's really, uh, really interesting. And the American scene, you said the roads are a bit wider, the field sizes are about the same, but does that give you the opportunity um, racing in America to experience the, 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 the bigger field sizes, but because of the wide roads, you've got a bit more room to move. So it's not as daunting. Yeah, exactly. Um, particularly in like, the tours and stuff, yeah, you're more like racing on, you know, proper roads, highways, even tight roads. Yeah. Um, whereas like, yeah, these Belgian races, you're racing on, you know, sometimes the size of footpaths and you've yeah. got 180 girls wanting to be in the top 10. Yeah. Um, so it's carnage. <laughs> and so, and also being in America, like everyone speaks English. So it's, it's a nice transition. You don't just have everything new to you at once, like coming straight to Europe. Um, so it is really cool scene. Um, really cool actually yeah and it's just fun like the americans they just hype up the races so much too like yeah i remember racing philadelphia classic when that was a thing and you're on the start line and the commentators just pumping up every rider on the start line and you have these like crowd preems and they'll just say over the microphone like oh next lap a crowd preem and the crowd just put in cash money and then whoever wins it just gets cash money like it's it's just like what is this (laughs) it's unreal what hey that that still happens in perth it's like a 20 dollar bike shop voucher yeah yeah hey, that's still good though i'll I, i'd take it i'd take it uh, yeah. do you yeah. do you look at all the the racing that's happening in america at the moment which it just seems to be like popping back off to where it was um and does it look exciting to you all the sort of legion racing and all that sort of stuff and rally getting amongst it yeah it's um it's interesting actually because I've I've said to a few riders here and there I'm like it would be cool to one day like even like say you're going to retire but then just do six months after or something racing in America like yeah. get a team of like six fun chicks together yeah and just go like race and that would be really cool yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would be so cool <laughs> I fully turn up with like all your world tour friends and like just for your last yeah. hurrah and just clean up all the preems and then <laughs> that would be sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it is good though because, you know, um, the, the European racing is one way that lifts up the profile of women's racing, but also the American scene seems to be doing it as well because even that, that big Legion race, they've got a lot of hype and all this cash and, you know, the, it was a, a big deal. The thing that I noticed the most was the... Um, Oh, the woman from uh, Rally that won the women's crit. Uh, she's a Kiwi. I forget her name. Um, but she's a beast. And she won like, she's won quite a, I looked back at some of her results and after seeing her win that Legion race and she's won like quite a lot of the major criteriums over there. I'm like, oh, well, I don't mm. think I've seen her race in, in Europe as much yet, but I'm like, now I'm curious. I wonder how she'd go on the sprints if she, you know, got to the end of the race sort of thing. So um you know yeah. it's, it's cool seeing it being built up from not just in europe but you know america too yeah and some people just like racing in america only and that's also fine like if crits are just just seen then get yourself to america and just race there 
because um, Europe is, is still quite different to uh, the US. Mm. And you were the, um, you won a national criterion title, didn't you, Jess? I did. <laughs> <laughs> you can't gloss over that. Not in a sprint, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never actually saw um, that race that you won. I think it might have been the year before I started following cycling. But when you won that national criterion title, how did you win it? Um, it was really aggressive, actually. So I'd raced the Bay Crits just before the National Crit, yeah. and I'd gone well on the Bay Crits, managed to win the last stage. Um, oh. And I was like, gee, form's pretty good. And, uh, and then the Crit for Nationals, it's a hot dog criterion up and down a hill, basically. Um, and I was in an early breakaway, and, and then I attacked from that. I think I was away for, like, the last maybe 12, 15 laps by myself. Whoa. And just managed to stay away. <laughs> Do you remember if you were, were you out of sight? Yeah, like by the end, I was a good, good, like half a, almost half a lap, mm-hmm. uh, probably half a lap. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just one of those days where I just felt awesome on the bike. You don't get many days like that. <laughs> And, um, and I also had a really good team there as well backing me. Um, we went in with a pretty loose plan, just be aggressive and sort of back anyone who's in a winning position. And um, I was just lucky being on a really good day and, and in the right move and uh, managed to sneak away, which doesn't really happen too much in a national <laughs> crit. It's normally, uh, normally always a sprint. Yeah, almost always a bar sprint, yeah. I remember and I'm definitely not going to win a sprint. <laughs> Well, <laughs> hey, it depends who else is there. You could be, you know, one up against, mm-hmm. I don't know, me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I remember watching the feed from last year's Criterion, um, National Criterion Champs, and um, you rode a sick race because I remember you came down on the bingle maybe with a few other girls, but then um, that took a, lot, a few girls out, but you got back up and got back in, and then I remember you pretty much went straight to the front again. Oh, it was a, that was a crazy race. Like, yeah, it came down hard in a crash yeah. and broke my, my seat on my bike or something. Oh. So I had to jump on a spare bike, which was uh, too big. <laughs> like the bars, I think, were like 42 centimetres. I ride like 38. But the wow. braking was also Australian braking, and I ride with European oh. braking. So, like, racing a crit with the brakes around the wrong way was just, like, carnage. And, and because I had to stop to get on a spare bike, like I chased back on, but then I had to get back on my bike once they fixed it. So then oh. I had to stop again, get back okay. on my bike. Mm. And it took me, I think like bloody almost 10 laps to actually get back to the Peloton. Um, got back on and then I was like, well, let's try to have a crack again. <laughs> like, I think it was only me and Sarah Roy in the race. So she was the sprinter and I was just to try and make it hard. And I was like, well, I got nothing to lose. So had a crack and couldn't get away, but uh, it was a good race anyway. Glad I didn't hurt myself too much. <laughs> uh, it was pretty cool to watch. Like watching that live was pretty sick because yeah, I had Keno on the <laughs> bike and I said she's and Jess is back and now she's to the front. You know, <laughs> it was so. It's sick. a really fun crit, um, and the atmosphere is really cool there. Like the whole of Sturt Street just all behind you, and Matt Keenan, such a good commentator as well. He really pumps you up, and yeah, yeah. yeah. and I always have good memories for there, so I, I do enjoy racing the crit. That's it. Are you um, are you coming back to Australia this year or next year? No, no. Thought about it, but 
I came back last summer, did the two-week hotel quarantine, and I just, just the thought of doing it again, I just don't think I can do it. Um, yeah, if it was a week, maybe, but even then, like, I'm happy enough here now. Um, I've really made Europe my home, so hmm. I'm going to, yeah, do my first winter. We have uh, two team camps. We've got one in December and one in January, so um, that breaks it up quite well. And it's also nice. Like, I do enjoy the Australian racing, um, but the season was really long this year. I didn't finish till the end of October. Uh, so it is nice to not have to rush to get fit for January. Yeah. Um, so at the yeah. moment, like... I had a good few weeks off the bike and now I'm just slowly building it up again. And, and my first race will be, I think the last day of February. So, um, so that just, just gives you another month to really get fit again, which is quite nice. Yeah, that's cool. And mm. when you have uh, the team camps, are they, uh, will they, will the first one be uh, mixed men and women together or is it separate? I yeah I think so I'm not actually sure so I've never done these like winter team camps and I think this is the first time the team's actually had a December camp um so a lot of the girls on team next year are actually in Australia at the moment so I think there's only going to be about five of us girls at the camp okay um I think it's with the men I'm not actually sure the details but usually it'll be with the men but we don't actually train with the men so much um Maybe this year we will. I'm not, I'm not sure. But the December camp will definitely be more of just like a, an endurance camp. Like we're not going to be smashing each other. Well, I hope not anyway. I don't think anyone's in, <laughs> in the right shape to be smashing each other that time of year. Um, so more just like long days on the bike, yeah. getting some Ks in. Um, we'll go to a place called Zaragoza, a couple of hours south of Barcelona. Um, never been there before, actually. So Oh. It'll be good. And it is good having those camps to like do a good block of uh, volume and, and then have the support from the team there as well. Mm. They sound like, um, at least to me, they sound like the funnest part of the year. Yeah, I think so. And it's the first time we're going to experience this. So it should be quite good. And we do have quite a few new teammates next year. So it'll be nice to do these camps to get to know them and, and build a good environment for the, uh, for the racing season. Yeah, that's sweet. Uh, okay, mm -hmm. Jess, I have a couple of fun questions left. I love these ones. Oh, you know what? I actually forgot. I usually have a segment called Campbell's Corner. Um, he's a young kid that I uh, I coach here in um, WA. In fact, he's yeah. got the skin suits that you donated to West Cycle. Yeah, I know yeah. him. Yeah, he's Campbell. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's still we train together every Friday, and um, you know. He's just getting – he's only 11, but he's uh, he's almost outgrown yeah. his suit, eh? <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm going to have to stock up. I'm going to have to get some bigger ones for him when he grows. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Oh, he's all about it. But um, anyway, I'll have to uh, – I'd have to – I forgot that segment. Oh, well, never mind. Uh, I'll insert it later and then – okay, never mind. Uh, okay, so when you're back in Perth, Australia, where you're from, um, do you have a favourite route to ride? Um, I really enjoy, um, do enjoy the weir loop. Um, I also enjoy, gee, I forget the name of it now. It's like you go up like campusic, kind of left at the top. Yeah. yeah. Death Valley, but not the full Death Valley. Like you get to O'Brien Road and just hang a right and then go through 
to Mundaring instead yeah. of going around the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've been done the whole thing once, like a forty degree day, and it was absolutely savage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's cool. I love those dippers, like on the Campsick Road. Yeah. Um, and the wind out there, like I think some of the windiest rides I've ever done have been out there, particularly last year, actually. Mm. Um, and I do just love the coast. It's a bit busy now, but um, I've grown up on the coast, so I do just like doing my recovery rides, just from like Scarborough to Cottesloe and back. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably my favorite. And the good old River Loop, like. You can't go wrong with just a couple hour river loop. Yeah, I know there's about 50,000 variations and everyone was gold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, and um, what level are you on Zwift? Honestly, I couldn't even tell you. I'm that mentally scarred from Zwift <laughs> after lockdown last year. Like, yeah. I broke my collarbone this year and did like two days on Zwift. I'm like, that's it. I'd rather just go out on the road and be in pain. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> some people love it, some people hate it. Eh? When I when I asked Sarah that question, um, she already came up with a level and a um out to Zwift time, like in 30 seconds. She's like bang bag. <laughs> I don't even think I've done out to Zwift, like yeah, no. Um it is good. Like I remember when I was a junior and you jump in the ergo, and I still do like the old school way, like I do just like having a set session just written down like you know, four by five minute efforts or something. Um, no screens. But for nothing. the longer rides, what's that, sorry? No screens, nothing, just wall. Yeah, just the wall, some music. Um, <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, but it was good in lockdown having Zwift because particularly um, there were so many of us that weren't allowed to ride on the road, so you'd actually meet up with people for rides and, mm. and I'd even, like, um, FaceTime people along the Ergo and oh, and we'd, like talk and uh and ride together so mentally it was actually really good and um I can definitely see the uh the benefits of it now and um it's also like re- you also recognize a lot of strong riders from it now as well you got the Zwift Academy um I actually coach a girl Imogen Alton who made the final five um so that was really cool and yeah just some of the numbers people do are just insane like I'm, I did a few Zwift races last year and just would be dropped from the start. People just go that hard for the first 30 seconds. I'm just gone. Oh, <laughs> it's mental, eh? Those races are insane. Um, oh, I don't understand. I don't understand, like, the the power-ups and stuff too. Like, I just couldn't get my head around that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though. The, the Zwift Academy is a fantastic um, – uh, well, it's been so good for, for women cycling, first of all, as a, yeah. another pathway. And, um uh yeah it's quite good i mean one of the uh, wa girls is in the final five as well rachel wales mm-hmm. and uh, yeah i wasn't surprised to see i mean i'd say um uh, i wasn't surprised to see her there because it was last year 2020 i think we had a state criterion championships but it was also the state 40k tt champs as well and she rode the 40k no the 80k state tt she rode and broke the course record for that. And then she yeah. rode down to Peel from there, another 60Ks. And it was, um, oh, Jess, it was like 40 degrees that day. She rode to the yeah. race and then rode the state crit, Kermese Chamber, Crip Chamber, whatever it was, an hour. And she won solo for the last two laps in the same day. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, super strong. Yeah, the other girls on there as well because um yeah they must be that's going to be some uh 
some training sessions that they're on together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. What is the um, what is the weirdest prize, gift, or sponsor sponsored equipment that you've received? There's this race called Drentha uh, in Holland. And you always win weird prizes. So I remember like one of the first years I did it, one of my teammates won a vacuum and a pot. <laughs> Unreal. Like what? I was like, sweet man. And she gave it to us. So we had this like brand new vacuum and some pots. I'm like, Unreal. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a good prize, eh? Like practical, you know? Like yeah. that's what prizes should be. Yeah. I don't know. Get rid of the wheel of cheese. There's a race, I think you win a wheel of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've won like a block of cheese in Italy once, like a most aggressive or something. I'm like, oh, rather a vacuum. <laughs> Would have preferred the handheld, eh? Yeah. Uh okay, and uh, keeping on, on the theme of like team kit, what's the best bit of team kit that you own? Um, so we're sponsored by Giordana and there's a jacket called the Versa. It's kind of like a gather. Um, so yeah. it's like windproof, waterproof. And like yesterday it was like nine degrees and raining and I went out in that. So that and long fleecy nicks are my favourite. Like, I don't like wearing leg warmers. I just hate leg warmers, but, like, long necks that are, like, all one piece. Yeah. Um, and fleece on the inside. They're my favourite. Oh, very good. That's cool. Okay. Um, yeah. And with this Versa, like, all I wear is a long sleeve undershirt and the Versa. That's it. And I'm warm. Wow. What a product. And could mm. you um, could you race in it or would it be too hot? I have raced in it, Yeah. Um, you don't normally, but we have a short sleeve one as well. And um, I've actually raced Tour of Britain this year. Uh, one stage was freezing and cold, and I actually wore the long sleeve one. Uh, and a lot of people are like, oh, it's too hot, but I'm like, bed and being too warm and too too cold. So uh, yeah, I, I do sometimes wear it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, those were all my questions, but I just have one more. Uh, I was watching this race start to finish, or at least when the coverage started and when it finished. Um, what was Paris Bay like? Yeah, carnage. <laughs> um, was it what you thought it would be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, no one really knew how the women's race was going to unfold because we'd never done it. And I'd watched a few of the men's um, in the wet, like from I think the last wet one was 20 years ago. And so I was just watching a few like things on YouTube, kind of how they rode the cobbles, but it's very different now to like from then and it was just I've never been so nervous I don't think and so the first 30k of the race was on tarmac and kind of like a Camille circuit oh. so that was almost more stressful than the cobbles um because you got 30ks to be like okay you got to like be in good good position to hit the first cobble section um and so people were crashing like we're going I think 65k an hour into the first cobble section <laughs> People just crashing left, right, and center. I'm like, oh god. And um, and the thing is, because it was wet, so, so the Roubaix cobbles are quite different to Flanders cobbles. And I know everyone's like, oh, it's different. I'm like, oh, it can't be that different, but it's very different. So the cobbles are, are like this, um, whereas Flanders cobbles are more flat, but Roubaix cobbles are kind of on a slope. So you just have to take it down the middle. 
and you, you can ride the sides, but in the wet, you just slip off. Um, so you've got like 150 girls trying to be in the top 10, but you can't just go in 10 at once. Like you have to go single file, basically. Um, so that was hectic. And as soon as you really had to be top 10 positions, otherwise you're out of the race. And as soon as a split forms, it's your day done. And so um, I was okay position to start with and then ended up getting like a bit tired or you have one or two bad sectors where you're just getting pushed back. And then the race is gone. As soon as the cars start coming past you and you're trying to get back to groups, people are crashing the groups in front. So you've got cars stopped behind the crashes on sectors. There's nowhere to go. So you're off your bike, but you're running through the mud, trying to get back on. It's just nuts. Like, <laughs> absolutely crazy you see girls just coming like full gas past you next minute they're on the ground and you're like (laughs) that's hectic and yeah (laughs) that's it's cool though it just sounds so you know if if you cut out what i said at the start and someone just jumped in mid-conversation they wouldn't know you're talking about a bike race eh? yeah um I was lucky not to actually get any mechanicals or crash myself. I had to stop multiple times because of crashes, but uh, I managed to be one piece to the end. Um, didn't actually get a finish time. So like, I think it must've been, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but was allowed to get to the velodrome. Um, I think I was like 13 minutes behind the winner, but I think the cutoff was like 10 minutes or something. Oh, what? Yeah. It was actually quite a short yeah. cutoff. I think cause it was such a short race. Like, it's only 113k. Um, yeah, but it was cool to actually get to the finish anyway. And uh, and now I know what I'm in for next year, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And you came into the finish with Daniil, <laughs> hey, Campbell. Yeah. So that's she had a lot of mechanicals during the day. Um, and that's a cool thing about Rebay. Everyone has stories and, yeah, yeah. and everything. So um, it was really cool to come in with her. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. That's it. Awesome. Well, um, Jess, thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, I think with every episode that I do, especially talking with someone like yourself, um, I enjoy the episodes more than I think the listeners do because it, <laughs> it's so cool hearing all these things because, um, you know, you don't get to hear um, this sort of, this level of insight anywhere else. So thanks a lot. Yeah, no worries. that's it episode seven done and dusted i have to say my favorite part of the podcast and you might have picked it up earlier was when jess said she didn't crash or she didn't fall at Paris-Roubaix. that is insane she must have been the only rider for that to occur if you watch the coverage live and you hear that statement you would just be like what sorcery is that but anyway big thanks to jess for coming on the pod that was awesome and um, make sure you follow her instagram check her out there and um, give her a big g up when you see her out on the roads over in europe if you get to see the race live um, again follow on spotify leave me a review on apple if you like this episode um, check out west cycle if you're from wa and you want to do the dams or you're interested just go have a look i guarantee you it will be one of the best bike rides you do and again a big thank you from me to you I love it, okay? The community of you guys is just insane. And I can't wait to be back next Monday with episode eight. All right, legends, I'll see you then. Bye.